let's begin by reading um, as we talk about what will the coming tribulation be like and how is the stage being set? You see how cleverly I put a stage on there. So let's look at the scripture reading passage and I'm going to have to make it a little bigger here, I think. Uh, Brother Dale, could you make this a little bigger for me? Because my eyes are just not able to see on this side here. That'll be good right there. Yep. And then if you can move it forward just a little bit. Again, I, I am sorry about my eyes. They're just, they're not quite there yet. Okay, this is good. Um, Matthew chapter 24. Most of you know this is the Olivet Discourse. This is where most modern preachers fall off and have all kinds of problems. Let's read at what the Bible actually says. And Jesus answered and said to them, now we've got to give some context here. The disciples have just come from the Temple Mount, and as they are mounting the Mount of Olives, they're turning back and they're looking at the gleaming uh, blocks of, uh, of Herod's temple there. And they're uh, they're justly proud of Herod's temple. In fact, as you're reading in the scripture, one thing becomes very clear. Herod's temple is still being built while the Lord Jesus Christ is conducting his earthly ministry. You say, well, how do you know that, Brother Kevin? Well, I know that from the fact that they're always picking up stones to stone Jesus um, because there are lots of stones there. They're still working on the temple. And in fact, they didn't finish it until just before Titus the Roman came in 70 AD and tore it down. So this was a building still in progress, but it was one of the most beautiful places that ever were. And as Jesus is going up this hillside and the the evening sun is, is coming down on the temple and it's gleaming in the light. The disciples are saying, look at this temple, isn't it marvelous? And they thought Jesus was going to set up his earthly kingdom and that he was going to run the Roman dogs into the sea and this would be their temple. And they felt like they were the kings of the world at that time. And Jesus answered them and said, take heed that no one deceives you. And if you want to put this down, uh, notice the word deceives here. Because we're going to be talking about a great deal of deception that takes place in this age of the tribulation period. In fact, one of the things that marks the tribulation period is terrible deceit and even a lie that God allows to be propagated that the whole world will believe. And you say, well, I can't believe the whole world will believe a lie. Well, just listen to CNN for a while and you'll find out. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And by that you might put Messiah. I am the Messiah. And will deceive many. And again, there's your word deceive. Do you get the drift that what Jesus is talking about is something that is deceptive? And um, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Um, see that you are not troubled. Now he's talking to the uh, disciples as Jews, not as 
uh, believers or promulgators of the new covenant and of the, sorry, not the new covenant, of this new standing that we're going to have in Jesus Christ and the gospel. Up to this point, we're going to go to the upper room and then he's going to give us church truth. But at this point, he's dealing with the nation of Israel and the nation of Israel only. So um, don't be troubled uh, for the things uh, must come to pass. And the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So it will be a time of strife and battle. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All of these, and here is one of the names for the tribulation period. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Again, talking about the Jews being delivered up. There's one of the words, slips us. Um, and will kill you, and you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Um, and there will be many uh, who... Um, I'm sorry, there will be many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. There's the word deceive again. And because of lawlessness, and there's another important word, this is the age of lawlessness, will abound on the face, uh, and the love of many will grow cold. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. Now, let me make it clear here. When he says, he that endures to the end, he's not talking about he that endures to the end of his life will then have the chance to know whether he was saved or not. This is referring to the end of the tribulation period, and the ones who endure to the end of the tribulation period will be physically delivered um, from the Antichrist. And so that's what he's referring to here. And I've heard this verse twisted and taken out. As Pastor says, this is a Beatles verse. They twist and shout. And the gospel of the kingdom, and here's another way to tell you that we're not in the church age. The gospel of the kingdom is different from the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the kingdom is repent, for the kingdom is at hand. That's because the king is at hand. He was right there and was ready to lay the uh, offer of the kingdom on the table and the Jewish leaders, as Pastor pointed out, in that wonderful diagram of the Gospel of Matthew, they rejected the Lord Jesus and the offer was taken off the table. And from that time on, Jesus only spoke to them in parables. Now, the Bible says the gospel of the kingdom will preach, be preached into all the world. That's the 144,000 will take this message to all nations, all the Gentiles, and then will the end come. And again, this is known as the end. This is the end of the age of law. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, God's stopwatch stopped. There's a 490-year period, and right up to 483 years, and we'll see that in just a few minutes, the Lord Jesus Christ came rode into the city of Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. He was despised and rejected of his nation. 
And in the week they started off yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And at the end of the week they were saying, away with him, away with him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And so the Lord Jesus Christ will be buried, will raise from the dead on the third day in newness of life. And at that point, God's stopwatch stops. And the 483rd year of Daniel comes to an end. And there are yet seven years in this 490-year period. And when he says the end here, he's referring to the end of that 490-year period. Now, during this time, we are living in the bubble that is called the age of grace. But once the Lord Jesus takes his church the age of the law will continue until the end of the tribulation period. They'll go back to the sacrificial system. That's one of the marks of this particular thing. The temple will be rebuilt. The Jews will start their sacrifices again. And in the middle of that uh, seven-year period, they're going to, he, the Antichrist is going to show up at the temple and declare himself to be God and cause the sacrifices to cease and the Jews will have to flee. And from then, that last three and a half years will be called the time of Jacob's trouble or as the Bible says in the, the book of the Revelation, the great tribulation, the great one. And so we'll talk about the end there. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, see, Jesus believed in the Old Testament, didn't he? He believed in the abomination of desolation. He believed in the prophet Daniel. And he said, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Let them that are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is not a rapture in the middle of the tribulation period. This is the fact that they're having to flee for their lives. Let him on the housetop go down and take anything and not take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field go not back for his clothes for woe be unto them that are pregnant and those who have nursing babies in that day and pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath. They've gone back to the Sabbath observance at this point. For then there shall be great tribulation. This is the last half of the tribulation period. That's when things really heat up, such as uh, has not been seen from the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, again, let me just remind you of some things here. From his language, the Lord Jesus is not talking about a local occurrence. That might have happened in 70 A.D., but rather a worldwide tide of terror and torment and trouble. And it is my task in this session of our Bible conference to briefly answer the question, what will the tribulation be like and how is the stage being set? for this uh, tribulation period. This is a vast subject that runs from Genesis and it's Genesis in the depths of the Old Testament and expands through the rest of the Bible terminating in the book of the Revelation, chapters 4 through 19. And we can only touch on this great subject just briefly, so let us begin. First of all, this chart that you've seen before, the Lord Jesus Christ dies on the cross of Calvary and 483 years of the 490 years have taken place. 
Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit descends on the church, and there is a parenthesis of undetermined length. This is where we are living right now, in this parenthesis. There are no prophecies concerning the end of this church age. Um, and a lot of people try and say, well, this may be the end of the church age, and that may be the end of the church age. Jesus said in the book of Acts, he said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons. That's not our business. Our business is to take the gospel out to a lost and dying world, knowing that if they are these folks that we love are left behind, they are in for a terrible time of tribulation. So this will end with what Pastor talked about yesterday with the uh, uh, perusia, um, the uh, um, harpazo, where we get harpooned and taken out of this world. And I think some Christians are going to be just like that. You're going to almost have to pull them out of this earth because they are so uh, attached to the earth. Um, but uh, we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and uh, have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And while that is going on down here on the earth will be this seven-year tribulation period which will have its end when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to the Mount of Olives and we will return with him riding on uh, white horses and being there. And I'm looking forward to that because I'm not much of a horse rider today, but I look forward to the day when I'll be able to say, Hail Silver away! And down we go. And uh, boy, the most one-sided war that ever was. And so uh, this is where we are today. So uh, let me just mention a couple of things. I believe that the correct teaching of Scripture includes a future tribulation period of seven years in length. And I'll show you where we get that from, which will commence after the rapture of the church with the signing of a covenant between the nation of Israel and the European Antichrist. And you'll find that in Daniel chapter 9, verses, uh, verse 27. So not immediately after the rapture, suddenly the Antichrist is going to say, ta-da, and there he's there. No, there's going to be a... Uh, there's probably going to be war going on in, uh, in the Middle East. And everybody on CNN is going to be blaming Israel for everything. And, and it's going to be looking back. Sort of sounds like today, doesn't it? And it looks like that. Or maybe Russia and China are getting together and are planning some adventure on the mountains of Israel. Well, wait a minute. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? And so, um, folks, the time is drawing nigh. Bible talks about a one-world currency. Well, I'm letting everything out of the bag. But let me just say, I believe that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ could be any moment. And it certainly would fit with the history that we have here. Now, this European Antichrist will have reconstituted a version of the revived Roman Empire. And in the middle of that seven years, the Antichrist, who is also known as the Beast, will rebuild, uh, will defile the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and set himself up as God, demanding that the whole world show allegiance to him by receiving his mark, which is 666, six, six, on their right hand or forehead. 
And at this point, the Antichrist will turn against the Jews and those in Jerusalem will flee to the wilderness where they will experience divine protection for the second three and a half years of the tribulation period. And toward the end of the tribulation, the Antichrist will gather the armies of the world together and Pastor Tom is going to be talking about that. So I'll stay out of his territory. Uh, but this will lead to the uh, conversion of all of Israel, uh, the Jews to their Messiah, and once converted, they will plead with their Messiah to return and rescue them from sure destruction. Jesus Christ will hear their plea and return from heaven to earth with his entourage of angels, saints, and Pastor Dennis and myself, and Brother Tom, and all of you, if you are saved and, and all of that. And upon his return, the Lord Jesus Christ over a 75-day period will prepare the world for a thousand-year reign here upon the earth with the capital being Jerusalem. Now, enough said in summary. Let's take a look at some particulars. And I want to read where we begin with all of this, go back to the book of Daniel, please. And we want to set the, the stage for this. And um, there are actually two portions I'd like to read, but since time is short, I just will deal with one of two visions. Daniel has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. We'll deal with Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but they're really one and the same. Uh, Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Now, I, by the way, let me say this. I am pronouncing everything in the received Hebrew of West Virginia. Um, that, that's where I learned my English and my Greek and uh, Hebrew all sounds rather West Virginian. So uh, Nebuch I used to call it Nebuchadnezzar. So at least I'm doing better. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled, so troubled that his sleep left him. And then the Bible tells us um, that he sent the, the, the courtiers out and they, he made a thing. He said, I want all the wise men to come and tell me not only what the dream was, but give me the interpretation, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. You're going to have to prove to me that you know what you're talking about. I know what the dream was. You don't know. And, of course, these courtiers said, oh, we're going to lose our heads. What's going to happen? And so they came to Daniel, and Daniel said, I'll give the king an answer. And so Daniel is brought before the king, and the Bible says, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, um, are you able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And I love Daniel's answer. Daniel answered in the presence of the king, the secret which the king has demanded of the wise men and astrologers and magi magi magicians and soothsayers cannot declare to the king. He's kind of putting his thumb in the eye of these other guys. And then he says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar that which will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed are these. As for you, O king, the thoughts that came into your mind while you're on your bed and about which will come to pass after this, he who reveals secrets has made known what it will be. And so... 
he tells the story then of what he sees. And I want to read this to you as you look at this, um, as you look at this uh, uh, graphic I've put up here. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. Um, and of course, naturally, this man being a pagan would think in terms of pagan idols. He said, this great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold and chest and, and arms of silver and its belly and thighs of bronze and its legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while the stone was cut out without hands which struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces and then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from a summer threshing floor and the wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them was found and the stone which struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth this is the dream now we will tell you the interpretation before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the king of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell or beasts of the field or birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand. And he has made you to rule over all of them. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom that shall rule over the earth, and a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks into pieces and shatters everything like iron that crushes. That kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and legs partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, that kingdom shall be divided, and yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, and just as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, so the, the toes of the feet were partially iron and partially clay, so that the kingdom shall be um, partially strong and partially fragile. And you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. They mingle with the seed of men and are, will not adhere to one another just as the iron does not mix with the clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed and the kingdom will not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that stone that was cut from the mountain without hands and it broke in pieces the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Now, what he saw here was a head of gold, which was the Babylonian Empire that reigned from 605 to 539 B.C. Now, understand, there were other great world empires. There were other great um, uh, groups of people, Hivites, Hittites, and other people, the Egyptians and all of that. But this is from the perspective of the center of the earth, which is Israel. 
This is what has to do with Israel. And in the history of Israel, they have been uh, enmeshed with uh, these kingdoms, and this is known in our Bible as the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. So beginning in 605, the Gentiles have controlled the city of Jerusalem without a break until the present day. Now, you say, but Israel's back in the land. Yes, but they can't do what they want with their temple mount. And that will not be done until this uh, peace treaty is signed and they think they have permission to rebuild this temple and it becomes a pretext for the Antichrist to declare war on the nation of Israel. And uh, at the end of that uh, uh, period when the temple is going to be defiled and then destroyed, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to step down and the times of the Gentiles will end. But this is a literally a flow of the times of the Gentiles, beginning in 605, running from the um, Babylonian Empire to the Medo-Persian Empire, and you notice two arms because there are two sides to it. One is the Medes, the other are the Persians, and uh, they run from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. And then there is the uh, belly of brass, this is Alexander the Great, 331, all the way to 146 B.C. And um, that uh, kingdom is broken, and especially there are two that are going to affect the nation of Israel, the Ptolemies down in Egypt and the Seleucids, no relation to Lucas, um, Seleucus uh, up there in the Syrian area. And so they will reign till 146. And then the Jews will appeal to their good friends, the Romans, who will come in and say, we are here to help you out. And they will be. They, they move in and they take over. And before the Jews know what happened, the Roman Empire conquers them. And the Roman Empire lasts from uh, 146 B.C. And a lot of people get this wrong. The Roman Empire did not die until 1453 because the Eastern Empire still was in existence until just a few years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. The Roman Empire has not been gone all that long. But that Roman Empire will be revived at the end of um, this time and even now is perhaps beginning to take shape. Now, Daniel had a, uh, a second vision, and this is the vision that Daniel had. He saw a... Um, a beast like a lion that had an eagle's wings and uh, the wings were plucked off and he was given a man's heart. This represents the Babylonian kingdom. And then there's a second creature that comes out of the sea and it's like a bear and it's raised up on one side because the Medo-Persians uh, are, uh, are a divided empire and the Persians are stronger than the Medians. And it had three ribs in its mouth. And that, again, we could go into all kinds of content on that. And it was told to arise and devour much flesh because uh, it literally covered most of the ancient world of its time. And then came a, uh, uh, an empire like a leopard. And this is the, Roman, or the, uh, uh, the Grecian Empire. 
and they have uh, uh, fowl's wings and uh, four heads, and they were given dominion. The reason they have four heads is that it divided into four separate kingdoms. And then finally, there is this Roman Empire that is exceedingly dreadful, and it, it will come up out of the sea, has teeth of iron and nails of brass, but then a later development is they had ten horns and a little horns that plucked up uh, three of the horns. This is referring of internal descent, and this little horn is none other than the Antichrist. So if we looked at these two visions together, here's what we would see. On Nebuchadnezzar's side, we have here um, the, uh, the beautiful brass image. On Daniel's side, we have... Um, these terrible beasts. What's the difference? Well, I'm going to borrow Andy Wood's file here. The receiver was at, at on Daniel chapter 2 was Nebuchadnezzar. The receiver was Daniel in chapter 7. Uh, they look from different points of view. This is from the oppressor's point of view. This is from the oppressee's point of view. The, the nationality is essentially Babylonian in chapter 2. It's Hebrew in chapter 7. Um, it's anthropocentric, uh, that is, it's focused on man in uh, chapter number 2, and it's theocentric because it's centered on God in chapter number uh, 7. In chapter number 2, it is a statue. In chapter number 7, it's beasts. It's beautiful in Daniel chapter 2, which is exactly what you'd expect a pagan king to think. And it's grotesque, which is exactly what you'd think of a prophet thinking. So let's talk about then this period of time, this last period of time, when the last beast comes out of the sea, the um, clay mixed with the iron. This is the revived Roman Empire. But in order to get to that, we need to settle what Daniel's 70 weeks are because we're going to find out they're going to arise at the end of the 483 years. So let's look at this. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. And the Bible says 70 weeks are determined on your people and for your holy city. Now, again, the key here is your people, your holy city. He's talking to Daniel. Um, this is the angel Gabriel talking to Daniel, and he's saying, so this is all about the nation of Israel. And what is this going to have? What's going to be the end result? It's going to finish the transgression. It's going to make an end of sins. It's going to, and, and a lot of people think that's sin offering, and I think that's probably the case, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All of that's going to happen at the end of Daniel's 70 week. So, What's going to happen here? He's going to lay it out for us. Know, therefore, and understand. And again, this is important. God did not give the Bible to confuse us. He did not give the Bible to confound us. He did not get the Bible to cause us to question. He gave us the Bible to answer our questions. And so he wants him to know and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, 
and remember that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Unto Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And we're going to see that that brings us right up to the... Um, to the, uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the city of Jerusalem. And the street will be rebuilt again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And then the Bible says this, and after the 62 weeks, after that first six weeks plus the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. This is his crucifixion, but not for himself because he died for you and me. And the people of the prince who is to come, and this is a second person. This is the Antichrist here. This is the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it will be with the flood, and the end of the war of desolations are determined, and he then he shall confirm a covenant for one week. That's seven-year period. But at the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, the abomination of desolations, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out upon the desolate. Now again, this would take a lot of time to cover, but let me give you the brief course. 493 years will elapse between the decree and Messiah's first coming. There's a period of seven weeks from the going forth of the decree and added to that 69 weeks. So that comes down to 49 years plus 434 weeks. Altogether gives us 69 weeks. So that means there's one week missing, one seven-year period of time. And whether you take those by Jewish calendar years or by Jewish days, which are 360, that comes up to a total of 173,880 days. And you say, well, Brother Kevin, can you show me? Come back and do my Bible course on Daniel, and we'll be able to help you with that. But we know when the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem was, it was March the 5th, 444 B.C. Um, and this is the decree that we find in Dan uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. And the stop clock started at that point. And it went until a young man, a young man rode into the city of Jerusalem on March the 30th, 33 A.D. and what we call the Palm Sunday. Euphemistically, we call it the triumphal entry. It was anything but a triumph because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected his kingdom. And at that point, God hit the button on the stopwatch. And from that point, we have been uh, and you remember when you were growing up, or maybe this is before some of your all's time, but used to watch those moon launches and they'd say, we get to T minus 10 and holding and holding and holding. Well, we have been at T minus seven and holding for near 2000 years now. There's a gap between the 483rd year and the 484th year. Um, the prophecy runs consecutively for 483 years, and then there's a gap between the 483rd year and 484th year, and that gap 
is the period that we call the tribulation period. And so the church age ends and the treaty is signed and from that point begins the one week tribulation period. And it's going to run for seven years. Now, that brings me to a second thing. And I want you to notice here, we have the Holy Spirit being removed from the earth. Why is the Holy Spirit removed? Because the Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and take us up from the world. We're now in, in, uh, uh, completely indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so when the church leaves, the Holy Spirit who came down on the church in Pentecost will go up with the church in that wonderful day. And so that makes a perfect ending to the church age. The Holy Spirit now will come back and work in the lives of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Somebody said, do you know who the 144 Jewish evangelists, after studying cults, I almost came to the conclusion the 144,000 were the Jehovah's Witnesses battling the Mormons to see which one would be the 144,000. But in fact, we know they are Jewish people and they are from each tribe of the children of Israel and they are uh, given the, the power of the Holy Spirit to take the message of the gospel of the kingdom. The king is coming. The king is coming. Get ready. The king is coming. But we have to understand something happens with the removal of the um, restrainer. And I'd like you to turn to 2 Thessalonians, please. 2 Thessalonians, the Bible says, uh, chapter number 2, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. The mystery of lawlessness, that's the spirit of the Antichrist, is already at work. Only he, and that's the Holy Spirit, who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way at the rapture of the church. Then will the lawless one be revealed. See, I reject any idea that we can know who the Antichrist is. Um, you, you, uh, I know people said it was Obama, and I know other people said it was Trump, and I know people who, who was just absolutely sure it was George W. Bush. Well, I got news for you. We won't know, and it really doesn't matter to us because we're going to be taken out of this world. But the Bible says the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now notice this. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The devil is going to try and replicate all of the miracles that God did, and it's only going to make things worse. And this is an age, the tribulation period will be an age that will be characterized by deception. In fact, the Bible says, um, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, the world is going to come under the great lie so that people will believe that the devil is really God and that God is really the devil because they will not receive the word of the truth. And that's the way it is today with many people. They simply won't receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, will God send them strong delusion? So the Bible says, 
if you want false teaching, if you want false truth, I tell you what I'll do. I'll take my Holy Spirit out of the world and I'll tell Satan, giddy up. And Satan is going to spread the lie all over the world. And for this reason, God will send them. He gives them exactly what they want, that they should believe a lie, that they may condemn who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I know that there are some people who take different positions on the subject, uh, whether if you've heard the gospel uh, whether you could be saved after the uh, rapture of the church takes place. I'm not going to come down on one side or the other, but I'm going to say if you won't believe the truth now when it's easy, I'm not sure you will believe the truth when it becomes hard. And so let me suggest to you today that there's going to be a time of deception and lies. Now very quickly, let me give you a timeline for this. If you want to look at the book of Revelation sometime, you will find that chapter 1 is the vision of Christ. That is the things which you have seen, according to chapter 1. And then the Bible tells us in chapters 2 and 3 about the church uh, beginning in Ephesus and going all the way to Laodicea. And as they get farther from Patmos, the churches get worse until you get to Philadelphia where you have a pretty good church and then at the end you come to Laodicea with Jesus locked out. Chapters 1 through 3 have 19 mentions of the word church. Now Israel is mentioned several times there too, but not primarily. Beginning with chapter 4 and running all the way to 19, there is absolutely no mention of the church. You want to know where the church is? Chapters 4 and 5, we've been caught up together with him in the clouds of the air. Chapter 4 ends or begins with these words, I heard a voice saying, come up hither. That sounds to me like the Lord's rapturing the church. Come up here. And from chapter number 4 and to chapter number 19, this is the tribulation period. I'm not going to get into the kingdom age or the battle of Armageddon. Tom will be dealing with the battle of Armageddon in just a few minutes. But I just want to say, most of the book of Revelation, not one time will you hear the church mentioned, but Israel is mentioned time and time and time again. So that, that Israel is really the focus of the tribulation period. Now, just as the world was blessed I, according to the Abrahamic covenant, I will bless them that bless you and I'll curse him that curses you. So when God begins to deal with the nation of Israel, he is also going to have to deal with the rest of the world. And you read in chapters, especially in chapter 6, about this book that's got seals on it. According to my understanding, that is the title deed of the earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ is found worthy to cast those people off the earth who don't belong here and make ready for the kingdom for those who are going to be here. And that's what you have, chapters 4 all the way through 19. Now let's move down real quickly because my time is running out and uh, I just want to make sure to get the over view for you here. There's a covenant that's going to be made 
at the beginning of the 484th year, and uh, it will run for three and a half years, and then in the midst of the Bible tells us the Antichrist will desecrate the temple and end sacrificing, and from that point on, that last three and a half years is called the tribulation, the great one in the, in the book of Revelation. It is referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble and so on and so forth. And so what we're talking about here, this is Revelation actually beginning here about chapter 4 or 5, and the end will take us to chapter 19. So all of this is actually the content of the book of Revelation. So let me end with three things very quickly. First of all, the designations of the tribulation because they will tell us something. We'll look at the description of the tribulation very quickly. And finally, in the last minute or so of my time, I'll talk about how the stage is being set. So first of all, it's known as the 70th week of Daniel. This speaks of its, in, its duration or its endurance. It will be a seven-year period of time. What about um, the na name, the time of Jacob's trouble? This is mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. The main focus of the tribulation period, folks, is going to be on the nation of Israel. But as you touch the nation of Israel, you're going to touch the rest of the world. And then finally, in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14, it is referred to as the great tribulation, the tribulation, the great one. This is an enormous tribulation that's going to cover the entire world. And let me just read to you what he says in Revelation 7, 14. And I said, Sir, you know, and he said unto me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And if you read it in the Greek, it's out of the tribulation, the great one. And so this is going to be a, a terrible, terrible time. Now, I've given you a handout on the back of your sheet that gives all of the names. I don't think I left out any of them. I think Dan, uh, Dr. Price got them all. So this will give you a ready guide to study this as you uh, go home and, and spend time. And I would spend time studying this. This is important. Now let me give you really quickly a description of the tribulation. First of all, it is going to be a time of darkness. Joel tells us, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm for my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. This is not going to be a time of joy. It's going to be a time of great darkness. Number two, it is a time of de deception and despotism. Um, then will the lawless one be revealed whom the Lord will uh, consume with the, the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one who is working with all signs, power, and lying wonders and the unri all unrighteous deception among those who perish who did not receive the love of the truth. God will send a strong delusion. So it's a time of deception. It's also a time of des uh, despotism. Um, the Bible says that he causes all to receive a uh, small and great, rich and poor, 
uh, free and slave to receive the mark on his right hand or their forehead, that no one may buy nor sell except he who has the mark of the beast. My friends, let me say that we saw in COVID where this was a dry run. I believe that um, it's going to come to a place where he will tell a lie and the whole world will have to receive that mark. Uh, you know, we were told you either have to receive this uh, vaccine or um, if you don't, you won't be able to work and all of that. How many nurses got thrown out of nursing? Um, folks, that's a dry run. They saw how it worked and they realized that there were so many sheep around that were willing to just follow that, that well, get rid of a few uh, thousand Christians and uh, then we'll be able to just do what we want to. Um, and then it's a time of death. He opened the fourth seal and the voice of the fourth angel living creature sounded and said, come and see. And I saw a pale horse and the name on him Thedon was death and Hades followed with him and power was given over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and by the beasts of the earth. You know, according to the Bible, during the seven-year tribulation period, over 50% of the world's population will die. The first reference indicates that 25% of the world's population will die. And the second mentioned that 33% of the remaining population will die. This means that in today's number, 3.4 million people will die. Estimates uh, suggest upwards to a quarter of those who are living at that time will be saved under the preaching of the 144,000, and they may be put to death for their faith. Therefore, it is possible that 75%, 70 25 by martyrdom, will have been destroyed in the first half of the tribulation period. That's not even when it gets worse. In the Great Tribulation, 2.5, sorry, in the, in the Great Tribulation, 2.5 million people die every day for 42 months. In Auschwitz, well, less than 1,000 people died every day. That means that 200 uh, 2,500 times as many people will die every day, every day. Or to put it in Auschwitz terms, the number of people who died every day in Auschwitz will die every 30 seconds in the Great Tribulation period. Or in other words, living on earth will be like living in a vast Auschwitz concentration camp and the death toll will be equivalent to the Auschwitz uh, uh, Holocaust twice a day for 42 months. Of all everything, the ve vegetation will be burned up, all the grass, every tree, everything green will be destroyed, the sun and moon will be darkened as nature goes into revolt and the gates of hell will open and locusts and the size of horses will come out onto the earth, and these locusts will be allowed to sting men with scorpion-like pain that will last for five months. And the Bible says men will beg God to die, and they will not be able to die. There will be a time of famine that the world has never seen, and there will be a world war so bloody 
that all of those killed in the battle, the blood will flow 200 miles up to the bridle of a horse in the Valley of Jezreel. This is the, valley, uh, this is the battle of Armageddon. All told, during the Great Tribulation, as many as half of the people on the earth will be killed. Do you see now why the Bible calls it the Great Tribulation? And do you see now why the Bible calls our rapture the blessed hope? I want to be out of here. And I'm glad that God's not going to leave me. So it's a time of death. It's a time of despotism. It's a time of destruction. Let me close with this. There are no ways of telling when Thanksgiving is coming. They don't put out Thanksgiving sales. But when they start putting out the Christmas stuff, you know Thanksgiving is right behind. Uh, and, and I worked for several years as the manager of a department store, and I can tell you what it's like for somebody who... Um, has the biggest sales day of the year, the day before on Thanksgiving, you're not resting, you're praying. <laughs> and so let, while we don't have any signs for the rapture, there are several things we can mention that we should be getting ready. Uh, and just I'm going to just pass over these briefly. I can spend hours upon hours talking about this, but let's just mention these. First of all is the Russian-Chinese alliance. Um, they used to be competitors. Today, there, you know, there's been a, a warrant uh, issued for the arrest of Putin. And since that time, uh, President Xi of China has bellied up to him, and those two nations have become very close. And I believe that the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 it refers to Russia as well as a coalition of nations. And Revelation chapter 16 refers to the kings of the east. This bonding of Russia and China tells me that the stage is being set for the coming of the Lord. The second thing that tells me is the decline of the United States of America. This is San Francisco, by the way. These are on the streets where children pass every day on their way to school. The United States was, at least for the last century, the world's great superpower. Yet the Bible does not speak of the United States. I've always believed that one of three things is going to happen with the United States. Either we're in the devil's camp, and I think we're getting there rapidly, or we're a third-rate power, or we will cease to exist. And it looks like pretty close that we're going to get down. We're already a third-rate power, and we're moving rapidly to ceasing to exist. We can't even um, elect a president. We can't even, with any certainty, we're all concerned whether our ballot would really get cast. Um, we're all concerned. Uh, even the Republicans can't settle down and get a Speaker of the House. We are a second-rate banana republic, and it's getting worse, and I bleed red, white, and blue. But I'm telling you, I cannot believe this was the nation I was born into. And then I would point out to you the Great Reset. A one-world government is waiting in the wings. The Bible says that the Antichrist will cause all, small and great, rich and poor, to receive a mark on their right hand and foreheads. And there was enough serious discussion at the time of the COVID that people were afraid that they were getting 
the mark of the beast as they were getting the, um, the vaccination. Now, I don't believe that was true, but I will say this to you today. They'll use just such a pretense to put us under that kind of bondage. So the one world government is waiting in the wings, and uh, we have to know that it's coming. Here's another one that tells me there's a one world currency. Um, they're trying desperately to do this for the United States and we have been resistant to it. But the rest of the world is coming under that. And now, you know, nobody wants to carry money. Nobody wants to get money anymore. It all has to be by credit or digital credit card or something like that. I never would have believed that when I first entered the ministry 50 years ago. But I want to say to you today, we are now moving to the place where nobody wants money anymore. They want money that can be moved around by the use of a card or the reuse of a thing on your hand or your forehead. And then let me say uh, another one would be Israel being in peril with anti-Semitism on the rise. We are seeing today a terrible thing going on in our country where so many of the young people that have been raised in our colleges and universities have turned against the nation of Israel and are holding rallies for the Hamas, even after they have done all the atrocities they have done. Folks, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. I believe he will be here anytime. And I definitely believe that I am going to leave before the great uh, time of tribulation. I'm so glad I will never have to face the tribulation period. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, for the hope that you have told us that we will not have to endure the great tribulation period. We will go to be with you, and Father, we thank you for that. Now, Father, help us to get earnest about getting the message of the gospel out. So many precious souls need to be saved. I think about this. If one, uh, one, uh, only one-fourth of the world is actually going to live through the tribulation period, almost everybody that we run, rub shoulders with are potential victims of the great tribulation period. Oh, Father, help us to get this message out. This we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.